everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And I'm Danielle. And, and this, this is Premeditated. That's right, guys. Our first ever special guest. Special guest. This is so exciting. And live and in person from Seattle, Washington is my cousin Danielle. Woo! The hey guys. <laughs> Uh, I would have had one of my cousins on it, but they're all in prison or dead. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, oh. big surprise for you, Kate. We've called into the prison and... <laughs> Uncle Tim, yeah. on the phone! <laughs> well, seriously, thanks for coming back again. We're super excited to have my cousin Danielle here to chat with us. She is also a true crime lover, and her and I have chatted about true crime for years and years, shared our favorite podcasts. We even delved into some, like, personal family true crime shit. <gasps> yeah, we got some deep ones. Yeah, we got some we got a good true crime yeah. story. I am already bonded with Danielle because she's from the Pacific Northwest, which is where I grew up. Bremerton Um, in the house. And yeah. And like I said, I dated a guy in quotes. (laughs) I used the word dated loosely. Yeah. Who was from Bremerton? I was reading a crime anthology. I came to this one chapter and I was like, oh my God, it said Baker County, Oregon, which is the county I grew up in. Baker Baker City City was where the crime took place. Get this. It was like 18... 90 something and this guy named Pleasant Armstrong what wasn't name. enough to like have an episode on it and it really wasn't that flashy but he fell in love with this girl and her parents didn't approve but he loved her and they got married and he just was not a very productive person Shut and he wasn't very pleasant no he wasn't oh, he wasn't right in (laughs) and I don't know fiance or girlfriend or wife or whatever I can't remember was riding along with her family on a wagon what year was this huh (laughs) this was 1890 so there were wagons in 1890 (laughs) how did he figure this out so anyway, he saw her and it was basically like, if I can't have you, no one will. And he shot her wow. and she died and he was hung in basically what is now is the front rounds or yard of the Baker City Courthouse. Oh my God. I'm like, what? Wow. Well, Danielle has a special gift. Yes. So I do come bearing gifts. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Scary stories to tell in the dark. I can't believe you've never read that book. Was that our generation, though? This was in our school library. Was it? Yes. It was. Oh, my God. 81. Yes. 1981 is when it was. born. Thank you. But now, when we have a campfire, we're going to read that around around the fire. They eat your eyes. They eat your nose. Horrifying. Like that, the pictures, the pictures in this the pictures are, are terrifying. terrifying. Oh yeah, that yeah. one. This one that is one. the scariest. <laughs> oh my god. What is the name of this one? Know. Oh, the haunted. Oh, this was the one. This was the one I was referencing last week. Where she opens the door slowly. No, yeah, because she got stuck in the in the trunk. That's all <laughs> it came about. So, I read this book, and it was in our school library as well. It's unexplained mysteries or whatever, and I read it probably seven hundred times. Yeah, like because it's over and over. My third grade teacher, Mrs. Lutz. She would like read aloud to the classroom from books about aliens, books about Bigfoot. She would have been cool, except she always told me to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Miss Lou. Yeah, fuck you. She's dead. (laughs) (laughs) She's right where she belongs. In hell. 
I hope I, I look at the floor and say, how are you doing out there? <laughs> That's amazing, so... Danielle. Thank you. You're so welcome. Second mm. thing. Well, on that note. So today, the mm. most exciting thing. We had an adventure. Yeah, the most exciting part of our day <gasps> the was. The best adventure. Was Danielle, being from the Pacific Northwest, had never been to Menard. Is it not I was nervous. the most amazing thing? Well, I was taken aback by the walkways. Like, yeah. the little walkways. There's two levels? What? Yeah. And then there's, like, these awesome walkways. Not yeah. one, not two, but three. Yes. And it's nothing. amazing. Yes. She she literally, she was, I, I was nervous that we hyped it up too much on this podcast. No. But we obviously did not because she was, like, blown away. I was taken aback. You were taken aback. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was so impressed with Menards. I actually took a selfie in front. Yes, I did. A Menards selfie. It is. It's craziness yep. when you go in there. It's just, you're like, oh, you know, dog toys mm -hmm. in right. wallpaper. Like, oh, and their it, prices are good. I don't know. Maybe it's a Seattle thing, but like you cannot get that quality of you no. know, bathtubs and furniture. No, and no. They no. had this crazy massage chair that goes zero G. <laughs> and we yep. both sat in it. Yeah, it was cozy. I mean, who knows who said it? Yeah, it really made my back. Who knows what someone yeah. did? <laughs> Ew, I'm not worried. Yeah. Not no, worried. but it was amazing. I sat in it and I let it, you know, of like go and do it. Thank <laughs> Stop it. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. They have massage chairs. Yeah. yeah. No, all their furniture is out right now, mm -hmm. you know. Where like the patio furniture used to be, because you know they do the oh, yeah, yeah. stuff. So we did, of course, have to get the lots of matzas, which we yes. had for dinner. Yes, mm -hmm. again, she was so good. She was. Very I'm impressed. I'm a big thin crust fan, so Me too. I yep. I liked the thin crust. Yeah, and the cheese was plentiful. Yes, that's the lots of matzah. We as the name suggests. So okay, and then so of we course, have yes, we have an experiment. Oh, I hope you are ready. Yeah, well, you told me I could keep my shirt on. <laughs> that's an experiment, Kate. Well, that's Jesus. why this is a radio yeah. show. <laughs> so they had like all sorts of different stretcher root stretcher root. Yeah. But we thought we should do some rip your taste testing because why not? <laughs> so we got some rip here. And then, so for the finale, yeah. we got the Sprecher Puma Cola. <laughs> oh, we have no idea. And I'm like, no what idea. flavor is this? And it does not describe the flavor. It's probably Sex Panther. 60% yeah. <laughs> of the time, it works all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But she was just so impressed with everything that Menards had to offer. And we were very impressed with the Rupier selection. But one thing this I was not, so I have, oh, can yeah. I say this? Yes, you can can say I it. say this? And if any Menards execs yep. are listening, uh, your poor cashiers are seriously exposed to the elements. Because you like go right out to one. I, yeah. I felt uncomfortable how close I was to yeah. her. And then I thought about having a young daughter myself, if she was a checker, having to have patrons go behind me. I would oh. not. Especially like with the that. cash register right there. I noticed a lot of Minnesota goes by the honesty policy. Like, yeah. you know, like we're just going to assume that they're going to do it right. You know? Yeah. No. People not at Walmart though. They got yeah. cameras everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just go over. We've got to go over 494 to Walmart, and you'll see a different area over there. That's oh, they different... have police officers stationed inside. 
the Walmart. That right? sounds like the Walmart that's over by where my sister used to live in Las Vegas. That, oh, that, that was a yeah. place you didn't go after nine o'clock. Yeah. No, I also read this interesting thing between 2021 and 2022. The crime rates have jumped the most in large cities in Minneapolis. It's gone up 15% in Seattle. It's gone up 22%. Yeah. And in Portland, it's gone up 26%. Holy shit. Now there's scary things that are going on in Seattle for sure. But I will say I just went to a concert with my daughter last weekend and I didn't see a lot of drug activity that we normally That's have how seen. If I felt safer in break. Seattle than I had in the past, okay. but I still took an Uber back at night. Going Even 10 years ago, I would have done that though. Cause my office was on uh, 6th and Union, mm-hmm. but the Metro Tunnel was down on 1st mm-hmm. or 2nd Ave every single day. One time I was chased. Another time a guy oh, told me, yeah, I, <laughs> this one guy was like serenading me one minute. He was outside the, the tunnel entrance. And then the next minute he was like threatening to rip my legs off like a frog. Oh, oh, my That's God. what he said. Like a frog. Like a frog. He was like, I'm going to rip your legs off like a frog. Oh my God. And I just looked at him like, holy shit, that's oddly specific. (laughs) It just totally takes me back to scream. Like, I'll gut you like a fish. Like a frog. Jeez, that's, that's terrifying. Yeah, the yeah. Seattle can be super sketch. About two years earlier, we went to another concert, but we stayed downtown and stuff, and we spent the whole day downtown. And I, we were walking downtown, and um, there was this woman who had a stroller, <laughs> and she had this this puppy in the stroller, and she, I thought it was so cute, and so I was like, oh. Oh, your puppy's so cute. And she was like, oh, thanks. And then she started following us. And um, she was trying to talk to us about, you know, the city. And she must have overheard us talking about, we had just come from the Columbia Tower. And that's where my old office was. Yeah, and we were talking about, like, where to go next. And she was like, oh, well, there's this and that. And I was like, okay, thanks. And she kept following us. And so we got to a crosswalk. And the light was like, you know, at the flashing hand. And I was like, Leanna, run. And we started running and we lost her. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. You know, and we were headed to Target because I needed some new shoes because I'm horrible at picking out like good walking (laughs) shoes. And we, I had never seen this, by the way, in Target, they have these like escalators for your cart. Yeah. Which is amazing to me also. Yeah. Target downtown. Oh, Oh, that was so cool. But anyway, we get to the very top and I'm looking for shoes and looking for socks because, you know, I didn't have socks on either. And all of a sudden I hear, there you guys are. And I'm like, what the hell? And it's this woman with her dog and she found us. On the like third floor of Target, like we had. What did she want? She was like, I just wanted to tell you guys, like, and first she said, "Oh, I didn't mean to scare you," and I'm like, "You've been following (laughs) us, and you found us, you creep." Just the fact that you're here is scary. Yeah, Yeah. no, it was creepy. So you used to work in the Columbia Tower. Yeah, I did. There's this wonderful on the top of the Columbia Tower, this little you know viewing area. Yeah. The same trip, my daughter and I went to the top of that, but we were with a group of tourists that. We're from the Midwest, who I don't think I've even seen a hill you know, that I let, oh, alone, yeah. Yeah. let alone, you know, I mean, a built. No, I'm yeah. just They're in there with us, and um, they're talking about where they're from, and it was a big tour bus. We were looking across the Puget Sound, and I pointed to my daughter, oh, look, there's Green Mountain where we live. And beside us was this 
couple. And I think they were from like Ohio or something. And she, the guy pipes up, he's like, oh, Green Mountain. Isn't that where the Green Mountain Killer's from? And I was like, oh, no, sir. Um, that's the Green, Green River, River Killer that you're referring to. And actually, that was south of here. And yeah, he actually was caught by, I don't know if you know, Ted Bundy. You know, he was yeah, yeah. incarcerated in Florida and helped the FBI with yeah. the investigation. And their jaws just like kind of dropped. I, and they were like, like what's huh? wrong? Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, there are other podcasts that like drink beer on the show, but here we are wine and here we are and we're going to try this root beer. Yeah. So here we so. go with this Sprecher root beer, root craft beer. soda, Thank made you, with Sprecher's. honey. Thank Thank you, Sprecher. That's so Norwegian. It's fire brewed, guys. Fire brewed. Oh God, I love root beer. That's it. I haven't had root beer in forever. Really? But it's made it's with delicious. honey. I love this. Sprecher. Mm -hmm. It almost has the bite of Barks, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a bite. It's not as soft yeah. as like mug or and You're right. Yeah. I'm tasting like oak. Yeah. And it's got an oaky. It's so, a little peppery. I, I do like it. Yeah, that's I think great. this that's is definitely good. a keeper. And yeah. thank you, Menards, for, for bringing us Sprecher. Oh, it's a 2022. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a 2022. <laughs> it's been aged for a couple months. Yeah. Barrel age, I'm guessing. Okay, so I think the root beer is a winner. But then there's the Puma. It's going to smell like cat oh. urine. <laughs> oh, this smells like something. <laughs> it smells like cleaner. No, oh. it smells like those old candies, uh, bottle caps. It smells like bottle caps. <laughs> it's my 409. 409 cleaner. And I really can't tell you what that tastes like or what it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. Well, that oh. hits that hits you right in the back of the teeth right there. That's not good. So that one's an, a no-go for me. I'm going to wash it down with some of this Sprecher root beer because the Sprecher Puma Cola, that ain't good. So the root beer was the winner. The Puma Cola. Yeah, I would definitely not. buy this root beer again. So what do you got for us this week? Well, this week I am bringing us on another old time journey. Oh, boy. We're going to be talking about a man named Joseph Dunbar Medley. Ooh. That's right. So we're going to start in 1944. We're going to start two days before Christmas Eve. A man was leaving the DeSoto Hotel, and this was in New Orleans. Ooh, New Orleans. New Orleans. And the desk clerk looked at the man who he knew to be DJ Stafford. Is he like a DJ? Yeah. Wicka, wicka. <laughs> DJ Stafford in the house. <laughs> Imagine 1944's DJs like, <laughs> like <"Jeez."> <laughs> <laughs> it's like skipping records. They didn't even have records back then, Katie. When did Didn't they have to have a conversation? Honestly, 1944, they for sure had records. Oh yeah, really? They, yeah, gramophone. Radio. Yeah, I was thinking gramophone. Okay. That it's not. All right, well, let's uh, talk about the So, Mr. Stafford <laughs> is is leaving the hotel, and this desk clerk looks at him and is like, "Hey, are you are you leaving early?" Mr. Stafford had been staying at the hotel for a couple weeks and he had listed his address as being in Chicago. So everyone knew that he was from Chicago. His wife had arrived with him on December 20th, according to the guest log. And Mr. Stafford replied to the desk clerk that he was leaving, but wanted to, he was going to come back soon. Um, he said, I'll pay for the room for the next couple of nights. Can you just let the room stay? My wife is in the room. She's had a couple, we've had a couple of super busy nights together. You know, we've been out uh -huh. of town and she just needs some time to sleep off, you know, her hangover or whatnot. Whoa. She just needs to sleep off her sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
sleep off the chloroform. Sleep off the chloroform. So he asked that she be left alone and said, I don't want anyone to disturb her. Not the chambermaid, nobody. So the clerk said he'd let the staff know and he put a do not disturb sign on the door. So two days later, it was Christmas Eve, right? So Christmas Eve, 1944, uh, the chambermaid saw this do not disturb sign that had been on the door for like two days now and was like, well, yeah, I know they said not to disturb her, but it's Christmas Eve. Everyone wants a tidy room for the holiday. I'm just going to like poke my head in and, and just clean up or whatnot. Just like that pot's got to yeah. be loaded by yeah. now. <laughs> I gotta clean up that. So the chambermaid lets herself in. She knocks on the door. There's no reply. She opens the door with her key and the room was tidy other than an unmade bed and some women's shoes that she saw on the ground. Mm-hmm. Now she made her way to the bathroom and there, unfortunately, she found a dead woman in the bathtub. The woman was sitting upright and kind of hunched over. And it was clear that the woman had been dead for a couple of days. Oh. One of the most notable things about this woman is she had beautiful red hair. Oh. Um, so the woman was hunched over. She was clearly dead, but there was no obvious signs of death. You know, no bruises, no bullet wound, no nothing around her face, mm-hmm. no scratches. There was she was just, in a bathtub? She was in a bathtub and the bathtub had like a few inches of water, like six inches of water. But not enough that they thought she had drowned in it. Interesting. Um, So they decided that they, you know, they're like, we can't rule any cause of death right now. We have to wait for the autopsy. So the autopsy did come back and showed that, well, it wasn't obvious at the time she had been drowned. There was water in her lungs. So she had no bruising on her neck or around her neck, back of neck, anything like that. So they believed that the perpetrator knew in order to drown somebody without like, without showing the signs of it, you have to like apparently like push their head down because then like their hair will cover up any like bruising or anything like that right so like the this perpetrator is obviously like so her husband never came back and that's why they were like we better check yeah the husband never came back which i wonder who did it (laughs) 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 yeah They searched the hotel room. There wasn't really a whole lot to note. There was nothing that identified the woman, though they believed this is Miss Stafford. You know, Mr. Stafford, DJ Stafford has been, was here for a week before. He claimed this was his wife. This must be her. Mm-hmm. So she had no luggage. She had no paperwork, nothing other than the clothes that she was wearing the day that she arrived at the hotel. So they had no no way to really track who the, the person was. So they, they went through her clothing and her bra they found had $360 pinned into it. So it was like she was like hiding money and they were like, who the hell who is this woman? Why was huh. she doing that? Yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. A $360 back then. I, I'm horrible at like the rate of inflation. Let's look it up. Of currency over the years. $6,000. Wow. So yeah, so she had like $6,000 essentially pinned into her shirt or into her bra. Wow. And they didn't find in terms of like forensic evidence in the room, it had been totally cleaned off. So they thought the person who did this, you know, based on the fact that they had drowned her by pushing her at the back of her head rather than her neck, the fact that the room was clean, they thought the person who did this knew what they were doing. So the police checked out DJ Stafford's address in Chicago, the address that he gave in Chicago. And, and there was not surprising. Can you imagine if he gave his real right, address? Right, I know. Like, <laughs> you're like, we got him. So case solved. Yeah, yeah, case solved. We are so good. It doesn't happen like yeah. that. Yeah. And no. not surprisingly, there was no Mr. Stafford known to that address or in that part of Chicago. So if the address didn't check out. The police were able to identify the dead woman through her fingerprints. They really? sent the fingerprints. Yes. Back yes. They sent her fr- fingerprints to the FBI. Get this. Who had a record of her prints because she was what they called an enemy alien, which what? was somebody who was from like an enemy state during World War II. This woman was an immigrant from Austria. Her name was Jazerna Zabaro. She was from Austria. Zabaro? I think so. Like the pizza place? Uh, similar. Yeah. <laughs> a Z in, rather than an S. Zabaro. Z-B-O-R-O. That sounds Polish. 
Hmm. Which is similar. Mm. Austrian yeah. Poland yeah. are no, very get, close. Are they? Yeah. Are they? <laughs> That's there. the US, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Katie looks behind her at a, a map of I the secretly peeked <laughs> it at it too. Yeah, like, yeah, you're just, you don't have to physically move your head. <laughs> it's not as obvious. Oh, so she came to the US from Austria when she was a young girl in 1934. So she had her fingerprints taken when mm-hmm. she came into the US. Huh. Can you imagine, though, the work that would have to go through to compare the fingerprints? Like what person has that job yeah. like, where they have to go through physical files of fingerprints and manually and manually it. compare them? That's amazing. All right. So when she got to the US, like many people do, she changed her name to sound more Americanized uh, and she became Laura Fisher. Yep. She was a basting machine operator for a New York garment manufacturer. So a basting machine is a type of like sewing machine. Yeah. Is it like a serger? Like where it cuts I it? I wonder if that's what it time. is. I bet that's what it is. Yeah. So, so yeah, she was uh, working in this New York garment manufacturer. She was 28 and she had left New York in September of 1943. And at that time, she told co-workers she was going to marry an army sergeant who was stationed mm-hmm. in South Carolina. Laura Fisher was described as quiet, industrious, and one that kept to herself. And then from September uh, of 1943 until December of 1944, so like a year and a couple of months, there was no sign of her, no trace of her at all. And then in addition, there was no record of anyone named D.J. Stafford uh, in any camp in South Carolina during the time of question. So they were like this whole story of her going to South Carolina to marry someone. There was no DJ Stafford. So who knows who she was actually going to meet or if that mm-hmm. was a, the truth or not. So the man, you know, this quote unquote DJ Stafford had, you know, two days uh, of a lead on them. And all that they knew was that he took a taxi from the hotel to Canal Street in New Orleans. And during this time, the Sugar Bowl was going on. And so it was just, the Sugar Bowl is like this football game, as you probably mm-hmm. know. I yeah. don't know a whole lot about football, but I looked it up. And it was going on during this time. So Canal Street was bustling. So an APP was put out describing the suspect as having dark hair, gray eyes. He was six foot tall, roughly 185 pounds. And he was in his 40s, but police had no leads. He had just disappeared. That's mm-hmm. crazy. So, uh... About a month later, a couple months later, February 1945, we're at the Atlantic Hotel now in Chicago. So, you know, the, the case is still open for Laura Fisher's death and police are still actively investigating. But how many months later is this? Two months. Two months. Okay. So two months later, a man checked into a hotel at the you know the Atlantic Hotel in Chicago. He had a Southern draw. He was wearing a large cowboy hat. He had tan skin and he was clearly like they everyone like. That characteristics were like, he's clearly from Texas. So he said his name was J.H. Hanan from Dallas. And he claimed that he raised horses in Dallas and he was like very boisterous. He had like this very Texan personality. He established himself in the hotel as being polite. He tipped well. He ordered big steaks. He was always with women. There was a situation when when he noticed like one of the clerks at the hotel looking at him and, and and kind of eyeing up his date. And he gave that clerk like a little wink and, and smiled at him. So he was, uh, he was just like very boisterous and outgoing. Yeah. He was a playboy. So 10 days after he arrived in, in Chicago at this hotel, he asked for a larger room. He had previously only had a single um, and he was transferred to room 1001. He was described as being roughly 185 pounds, six feet tall with dark hair and dark eyes. Gray eyes. So February 17th, 1945, police got a call that there was a dead woman in a bathtub at the Atlantic Hotel. Obviously very similar to the crime scene in New Orleans. So a redheaded woman was slumped over in a bathtub with a few inches of water in it. God damn. 
None of the hotel staff knew that there was another woman in that room. They all thought it was just this J.H. Hanan, and and that's the only person they knew to be in the room. Wow. So a bellboy at the hotel did speak up and say that around 9 a.m. he found Hanan outside of his room with his luggage hanging up a do not disturb sign. He said that he told that he told us stop with the do not disturb. I know. I, I mean, know. that's <laughs> it. Every time I see one of those, I'm going to assume someone's dead in yeah. that room. Yeah. <laughs> There goes another like, one. Danielle goes to Vegas and those are up everywhere. And she'll be like, dead, 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 dead. Killed, murdered, Because that's what I do when I go yeah. to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Just stand outside rooms. I look for murderers. That's what I do. <laughs> it's not what I did. That's definitely not what <laughs> I did. Murderers and ghosts. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't remember what I did, but it wasn't that. Similar to the New Orleans situation, he told the bellboy that he was leaving, but his wife was staying and he'd be back soon. Don't disturb her. He paid his bill. He tipped the bellboy and then he took a cab away. The chambermaid had found her body because she went to clean the room and she saw that the do not disturb sign was on the door, but she ignored it because she thought that they had already checked out. She didn't talk to the bellboy who said like, oh no, actually they paid for a couple extra days, you know? So Mm -hmm. she went in, she ignored um, uh, the do not disturb sign. So unlike the redhead in New Orleans, this lady had only been dead for like six to nine hours. So she was, she was more fresh. Um, <laughs> she was a she was she was a she wasn't bloated yeah. <laughs> gross yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my uh, god I can't believe you said use a different word <laughs> no I like that word oh so her cause of death also could not be determined without an autopsy because there were no marks there was no visible signs of once again why she was dead and so they did do an autopsy and and while they were waiting they identified the woman as blanche zimmerman of chicago i know i love that name not just because of the golden girls but also because it's a great name it is but um it's also a great way to cook your vegetables that's true that's true (laughs) it's a great cooking method it's a great name one of my favorite golden girls really has it going (laughs) <laughs> that name has everything that name has everything going for it <laughs> so the oh, officers cool. went to the address and found that her husband uh was there and also was just absolutely shocked that she mm-hmm. was dead he said he worked days at the gypsum plant. Oh, blanche worked nights as a phone operator so they oh. only saw each other on weekends they literally like were like ships Jeez. passing well not only is he upset about her dying but he's probably also wondering like, like why, why, why is she, why out? Is she in a hotel? doing it a hotel absolutely and so he said she's like she's a social drinker but not a heavy one she usually only drinks beer and so she also took benzos for pick-me-ups <laughs> but that's what? it no what no it was like she only uses benzos to pick her up but no hard drugs thought, well, those were downers that's I don't a know. typical monday <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> little benzies and some oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah so Ooh. she was a, she bent pop benzos like it was her job it sounds like so oh, no. he, yeah he identified her body he said that she always wore a fur coat and had a couple of expensive pieces of jewelry that weren't on her so she didn't have her jewelry so did she didn't have her, her did he take it she didn't have her expensive things on her so it was not like the police were like this must have been some sort of robbery oh, no. so the police also called her work to see when she had left that morning and they found out that she called in sick the day before so <gasps> she spent the entire evening Oh, did she like? She was probably having. She was having an escapade. Yeah, she was. She was having fun. Girl was having a good time. (laughs) Be discreet. Yeah, line and sinker. Oh, did you say sinker? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
horrible, right? That is horrible. So that was great. I love it. That was fantastic. So did the police, I might be jumping ahead here, but did the police in Chicago, because this is in the 40s, like, and the make the connection to the Louisiana? Not thing. quite yet. Okay. But yes, you are, you're on the right track. So the police searched the room and found that the woman's hat and her coat were missing. It was a cold, it was February in Chicago. So they're like, this woman would not have come here without a hat and a right. coat. They checked the phone records and found that J.H. Hanan had called a specific number quite a few times. And that number was uh, a woman, a young widow. And so they went and reached out to this young widow. Ooh, and the woman said, yeah, yep. she said she had gone on several dates with him. And he told her he was a horse dealer. He was always flashing his guns and he was a big spender. This woman had introduced him to Blanche and he immediately was like just enthralled with her and he loved her red hair. He always talked. Oh, he's got a thing. Yeah. Oh. Creepy. Yeah. And, and on their first meeting, like the first time this, this widow had introduced Blanche to J.H., J.H. asked about Blanche's expensive rings and fur coat and was like, how much do those cost? Like very obviously was interested in like her stuff. Oh. I worked so, with a guy once that said he had a thing for neck scarves. <gasps> yeah, because I was wearing like a short neck scarf. Uh-uh. Tied no. in you're like, knot. no, you don't. And I just kind of. <laughs> I took it off later. I yeah, like, you're like, oh, no, thank yeah. you. <laughs> but oh. even taking it off, it's like, was he thinking about putting one on me? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's creepy. Next yeah. scarves? Why? I don't. Right. And why? Why tell me? Well, and you've had this happen too. Like, but like, I think about the past and like the things that oh, I just thought sure. were normal. Right. For sure. For people to say. At least it wasn't like, I like your feet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happened to me. Did it? it I, I don't, I don't want to divulge into like another. I want to hear it. Oh, well, all right. I, you know, I used to live in downtown yeah. Seattle. Work there. Well, I had to renew my driver's license, which was really far away from my office. So I go down there and I pick my number and I wait until I have to go back. So I'm walking back to my office, which is like six, eight blocks. I don't know how far long. And we're right up to my office. And this guy behind me says, excuse me, ma'am, were you were you just in the DMV? And I mean, like I was like a mile ago. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Like thinking maybe I left something. Yeah. Like you dropped something. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, well, I I have to just tell you, I was there too. And you have the most beautiful feet and I'm wearing (laughs) sandals and I'm like, uh, thanks. You know? And here I am, my 19 year old self, like, yeah, that's exactly what I would have done. You know, thanks. And I continue like an idiot walking to where I work. So now this so, guy yeah. like knows where I work. Yeah. And I get into the elevator as he does as well. And I punch the button for my floor. And now he's going up to my office with me. And as we're exiting that, you know, and he's telling me about this business that he has for modeling. And he thinks <gasps> I would be a really good foot model. And I'm like, okay, you know, and by then my, my, you know, Yes. My my spidey sense was like, oh, this isn't right. I take his card and he wrote something down on it, like his his website. And I look it up and it's foot porn. Yeah. Yeah. It was. All those all those feet started washing up on the Olympic Peninsula and in Canada, you probably met the guy (laughs) that oh god. Oh, oh, shoot. Shoot. <laughs> Ew, but yeah, that did happen. Anyway, so Danielle almost got murdered for her feet. Yep. Let's go. 
<laughs> yep. Uh, okay. The man had once again wiped the room clean. There were no prints. There were mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing was found. So the investigation into who this J.H. Hanan was, people he spoke with at the hotel stated he also said he uh, owned a horse racing stable, was into horse racing or horse breeding or, or things with horses. He told others that he wasn't allowed to horse race any longer due to some trouble he had gotten into, but they followed this racing lead and basically discovered there was nothing to be found. Another failed lead. But you have to wonder when someone lies, they always put a little portion of the truth in there. Right. And so you have to wonder if he did oh, have something to do with horses. That comes up later. So <clears throat> you're exactly right there. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> He also uh, told another person that he was a police officer and, and showed like flashed a badge. So he clearly has like a bunch of aliases that he likes to use. The autopsy, the autopsy for Blanche showed there was no evidence that she had drowned or was strangled. So they were just kind of stumped as to what had happened to her because she was once again slumped over in a tub. I know what he did. But put a pillow over her face. He took her breath away. Oh! <laughs> Exactly. He was whining or dining her or taking her breath away. Yeah. <laughs> so they sent her organs for analysis and toxicology, and they did find that she had high levels of alcohol in her blood. So the coroner suspected before they got the, the coroner suspected she may have been poisoned. Mm. So looking into what had happened the night before, the widow gave the police. Also, I love in the book, they literally don't mention her name. They just call her the widow. <laughs> so the this widow, widow the widow, the widow friend who... Who had introduced Blanche she's not a person. She's yeah. just, you know, known as the fact that she was married. Well, she's not a very good friend. Yeah. True that. Right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> couldn't you have seen this coming, widow? Yeah. yeah. So the widow gave the police a list of places that Blanche and J.H. would go to frequently. And they found a bar that they had been to the night before and spoke with the bartender. And the bartender said that both of them were super wasted the night before when they left. He said he'd been serving them for several nights and they never had been like that. So the bartender was serving them gin all night. And he said he gave more than he had ever given to Blanche and like was doing like triples and like quadruples. Whoa. And the bartender even mentioned to Jade, she's like, this is a lot. Like, are you sure you should be drinking this much? And the guy's like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so. Well, to be fair, at that point, I usually think I know yeah. what I'm doing. Uh, right. But, I know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't ask somebody who's drunk whether or not they know no. what is going on. Because they'll kind of the most looking sober. for Katie in the <laughs> stairwell <laughs> and barfing and garbage. And I am a supermodel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I can dance like Fergie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But she was so drunk, she couldn't stand up on her way out. And so they left their bar around midnight. And based on the information, police kind of asked a couple scientists what the effect of alcohol and benzos was. And the prognosis was that too much of both of them together could be lethal. Yeah. So at this point, they did tie the New Orleans murder to Chicago. So there was a be on the lookout sent from New Orleans to Chicago because a bolo? He, yep, there was a bolo sent oh, well, from now we're getting serious. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's a bolo sent from New Orleans to Chicago because in New Orleans DJ Stafford. DJ Stafford. DJ Stafford. DJ, what up? <laughs> he claimed that he lived in Chicago. So they were like, well, we're gonna, you know, maybe there is some connection to Chicago. Oh, that was very smart. Yeah. Mm. So they sent that to Chicago. So the police had reviewed that information weeks before the murder and then reviewed it again. They saw that the similarities were just too obvious. And because the murders took place just 55 days apart, they were like, this, this is just 
too similar to overlook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition, and this goes back to what you were saying about like when people lie about things, they might sprinkle in a little bit of, of truth. So DJ Stafford, he listed his address as being on Hazel Avenue in Chicago. And when they went there initially, went to the address, there was no DJ Stafford, but they were like, it's so specific. Like, it, it seems weird that of all the places it's he chose like specific address, right? Yeah. He didn't yeah, just yeah. Say, or he didn't just say like Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was like this very specific address. So they went to the address and decided to like walk down up and down the block to see if like they could talk to anyone that had been there for uh, some period of time to say like, do you know anybody who matches this description? Or So they spoke with a lot of people on the street and most of them had only lived there for a couple of years and didn't have a whole lot of information. They finally found someone who had been there for about 30 years and he did recognize the name Stafford. He was like, yeah, that name, that name sounds familiar. And he had to think for a little while and he's like, oh, you know what? There's a Stafford who had lived on Hazel Avenue and he ran an auto agency. So the police officers like searched this like directory of Chicago businessmen and found a DJ Stafford. Wow. They went and found him. And unfortunately, like he didn't look anything like this. Right, I was gonna say, it, it was not, guy, it wasn't he, the guy. He took his name. So, so he must have known him. Right. So they spoke with the guy and DJ Stafford. He was like, with all that information, I do remember a man who, who worked for me, which is so weird in 1922. So literally like 20 plus years before he's like, yeah, there was a guy who worked for me. That kind of sounds a little bit like what you're describing. And he said, this name was Joe. This guy's name was Joe Medley. He said he believed Joe had gotten into some trouble because he hadn't seen him pretty much, you know, after working for him. And and apparently they had a pretty close relationship and then Joe just kind of disappeared. So he's like, I always, I always assumed he had gotten into trouble, but he sounds a lot like the person you're looking for. So Joseph Dunbar, medley please start looking into him and find that he was in prison until just the previous november and it wasn't because he was let out of prison but he escaped from a michigan state penitentiary the previous november that's serious shit how do you even escape from a penitentiary well he was serving a 30 to 60 year prison sentence for armed robbery and he was in prison for a really long time. So he basically like built up the trust of the prison guards. So he was in charge during this time, like war bonds were like super big. So like mm-hmm. the war bond effort. And I don't, I don't know how he did, but in prison, he was like in charge of that. So he would like, wow. he would collect money from inmates for the war bond effort. Wow. And then he was allowed to go into town and literally purchase the war bonds. He was for the allowed bank. to go into town. Did people go with him? Generally supervising him, but he was like allowed to like leave on his own and, and and so if you think about what kind of people went with him, like these are prison guards that don't get paid very much and probably get distracted very easily. Yeah. And like, yeah, don't and really they care about their job that much. They, I'm not going to go into it a ton, but in, in the book I read, they, oh, this whole situation caused like a huge investigation into the prison. Uh, yeah. I was going to say. Yes, I will. I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but there was a lot of investigation into how the hell these prisoners were allowed to. Right. Just like. That's insane. Out. And so wow. what he did was he literally. He had $700 that he had collected from inmates that he was going to bring to That's get a lot of bonds. money back then. That you is just give a $12,000 in yeah. today's money. But he had $700 just with him. Just give him $700 and be like, hey, go deposit them. Like he could just take off with the money. Yep. So they, so he, and that's exactly what he did. Oh my God. $12, so, so he, they brought him into town and he just, boop, he disappeared. Bolted. He just For bolted. Sure. Who can blame him? I know. Like he had $700 <laughs> and like was able to just walk free. So that's what he did. Yeah. Duh. So the prison officials gave a photo of Joe Medley to the police who showed it to the workers at the Atlantic Hotel. And everyone was like, yeah, that's the guy. That's, that's, that's Hanan. And wow. then they showed it to the, the, uh, the hotel in New Orleans. 
Um, and the person was identified as Stafford. So now we know that this man was actually Joseph Dunbar Medley claiming to be Stafford and Hanan in different places. So who was Joseph Medley? So he was born in Pittsburgh and moved to Chicago when he was young to start working for DJ Stafford. He was married in 1922 and divorced just a couple of years later when he deserted his wife, like a real gem. He was first arrested in 1927 in Arkansas for obtaining money under false pretenses. So fraud. Mm -hmm. Um, He was paroled after 20 months and then he found a job as a field representative with a company financing cars. But when the company tried to get him bonded and licensed, they found out that he had been arrested for fraud and, and they fired him. So after that, Joe was basically in and out of prison. He was, he had passed bad checks. He was doing petty crime here and there. But in 1933, he took part in a robbery of a wealthy man who was once the mayor of a city in Michigan. And he was arrested when his accomplice turned him in and he received that 30 to 60 year sentence. And and he had served 10 years of his term when he escaped. Yeah, Um, I was looking at 20 more years and I had $12,000 in my hand. Right, you're like... Huh, okay. Why the jump from, you know, armed robbery to like murder? Right. Wow. I mean, he clearly, he was escalating because he went from, I mean, he was doing like petty thefts, forgery, passing bad checks to then robbery, which was, it was the robbery was sort of a violent robbery. Not that they're not. Yeah, but but to go from, I see what you're saying, because to go from that to to like targeting and murdering women. And I think, but I do think that the, the tar, like the real reason was like, money like yeah. i it there was, was a robbery aspect yeah. to the murders right and they just happened to both have red hair they were clearly he liked red hair right i mean yeah. like so mm-hmm. now we're gonna fast forward a couple weeks just a couple weeks to february 1945 we're heading to washington dc so during february of 1945 dc was bustling so there were not enough places for people to stay not enough restaurants feed people so strangers were like forced to sit at the same table and like eat with each other it was totally normal so february 28th 1945 was the last day of the month and a woman is sitting eating lunch when an older man approached her to sit with her i and, like not like that i don't nowadays <laughs> like, you'd be yeah. like get the fuck away from me yeah. but in a well, time when there weren't enough places to sit she was yeah. like yeah i guess you're gonna hang out he talked about how much he missed home cooked food and they like he was like oh it's been so long i've been on business i would love to have a home cooked meal and the lady was like, oh, my mom is the best cook ever. So yeah. this man who introduced himself. innocent enough, you know, like, yeah, you're hungry. Let me feed you. Wait, Sorry, I just why, remember. why are you joining me? <laughs> <laughs> so he introduced himself as Larry Fisher, which is really interesting because his last victim's name was Laura Fisher. Yeah. That I was just going to really say that. So I don't That's mm-hmm. interesting. But he introduced himself as Larry Fisher. And he's like, I would love to have a home cooked meal from your mom. I will pay her. Like, what can I do? And she's like, oh, please. She would never take your money for a home cooked meal. And while she did take like a second after he's like, oh, please, you know, like, can I come mm-hmm. over? She was like, Shh, sure. He's a, he's a well-dressed man. He speaks well. Can't possibly be anything wrong with him, which that was wrong, honey. Mm-hmm. So on March 1st, he went to dinner at this woman's house and uh, with her mom. And he was an excellent guest. Both the he woman and her mom. Manners. I know. They loved to, <laughs> until he murdered her. Yeah. 
<laughs> Apparently, like they loved his company and they actually liked it so much they asked him to join their poker night the following evening. They're like, oh, you'd have so much fun at this poker night. Oh. So on March 2nd, he accompanied the women to a friend's house, a friend of theirs house for a poker game. And one of the women there, uh, her name was Nancy Boyer. She was a beautiful woman with red hair. Oh, and here we go. He immediately commented to her how much he loved her red hair. Oh, so he does have a thing. (sighs) So Nancy had been single or she'd been separated for husband from her husband for nearly 20 years. And everyone loved the man and were like so happy at the idea of these two finally together. They're like, oh, good for Nancy. This is so cute. So Fisher made a date with Nancy and was invited to the group's next poker game, which was going to take place on March 5th. So on March 5th, he attended the poker game, which was at Nancy's home. And the game went, this was a fucking wild poker game. It went until 5 a.m. So these women and this man were playing poker together until 5 a.m. I'm like, fucking wild. I would guess that there was moonshine. I know. There was definitely something crazy going on. Well, they had benzos. Yeah, they had benzos. (laughs) They had benzos. And at one point, Fisher actually ran out of cash. And he was like, I'm going to run down to the bank to get more cash. And Nancy's like, oh, no, that's okay. Just I'll cash a check for you. I know you're good for it. So he got a check. He wrote his bank info on it. And he got um, 25 bucks from her. So Fisher and one of Nancy's friends, Ann Ellington, were the last to leave. So Fisher escorted Ann down to her vehicle, got her in her car, and then said Nancy had invited him back up for breakfast. So he left this woman at her car, then came back upstairs to be with Nancy. Mm -hmm. So a few days later, Ann who was the other last woman to leave was worried because she had not heard from Nancy since the fifth. So since they were together uh, at the, at the game. So Anne called the landlady of Nancy's apartment and asked that she check on Nancy. And the landlady went to the door and noticed that there were a stack of papers from the fifth or sorry, from the sixth, the seventh and the eighth in front of the door. So it was clear, like no one had been in or out of the apartment for like three days. So she entered and immediately found Nancy dead on the kitchen floor. Oh, that's different. This is also different because she had been shot three times. (gasps) No. Twice in her temple and once in the hand, which was obviously like a defensive wound. So she had clearly put up a fight. Her mouth was bruised. There were scratches on her neck. Her hair was all like a mess. That is so uncharacteristic of his other one. I mean, it it was very interesting because the first one, he uh, drowned her. Second, he drugged her. Third, he shot her. Again, it's like the one that you did where like. Yeah, it was just it was just weapons of opportunity. It was like similar. I was like, what? But for him, it sounds like he's just chaotic. He just his goal is to get their money or jewelry. By any means necessary. By whatever means are necessary. Oh, his mouth was bruised. So he was like, he was. That's bad. So. uh, So, yeah. So. Well, it's not good, Danielle. Yeah. So she was clothed. There was no sign of rape and identified the clothes that she was wearing as the Mm -hmm. ones that she wore the night of the poker game. And so the coroner estimated that she had been dead for like two, two days. Wow. There was also like some food sitting in the home. There were some glasses with, with drinks in them. So it was clear that she was like, she she was, she either just finished up hosting like the poker game. So they didn't think that she had cleaned up or anything. She was clearly like, this is just after the poker game. Well, this is interesting too. What, like what I find interesting 
also is like, there's no sexual motive, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's literally which, money. It's just money. So they searched the home. All of the poker players from that night were rounded up in question. However, they were not able to find Larry Fisher. He had registered at the Annapolis Hotel on February 25th, and he had checked out the morning of March 6th. Mm -hmm. And noted that there had been about $300 in cash, as well as Larry Fisher's check, which which was in a dresser, which was in one of Nancy's dressers at the time of the poker game. And only the check was there. So the cash was gone, the $300 in cash. Her purse was also empty, even though she normally had a large amount of money in there. And her emerald and diamond rings, which were valued around $1,000, so probably like $15,000 in today's money, and a silver fox jacket were also missing. So he had taken quite a bit of money from Nancy and once again had a two-day head start and fled the city. She clearly put up a fight, though. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she put up a fight, for sure. So March 2nd, Washington police had gotten the bolo from Chicago for a man who matched Fisher's description. Roughly March 2nd, which was a few days before the murder, they got this bolo. Chicago police officers were canvassing pawn shops in Chicago still, and they located Blanche's ruby rings in Chicago. The poker players looked at the wanted poster of Joseph Medley, and they all immediately recognized him as the, the person that they played poker with as Larry Fisher. So, oh gosh. so March 16th, so this was, you know, 10 days or so after Nancy's emerald and diamond ring were located at a pawn shop in Pittsburgh. So they were like canvassing between Chicago and DC. They were just canvassing everywhere in their pawn shops and in Pittsburgh. It's a huge area. I know. And they like, they were yeah. doing a good job. It's like kind of crazy to me that they like they were canvassing that whole area and managed yeah. to find at a pawn shop in Pittsburgh. So the pawn dealer also saw the photo of Joseph Medley and said that that was the man who pawned the ring. And he had initially asked for a thousand dollars for it, but he settled on 250. So he was not a great negotiator. No. (laughs) So a tip came in from St. Louis. A man called the police and said that the man that was wanted was in St. Louis. He said, I found him at the Armstrong hotel. He's been hanging around with a bunch of women there. You know, I've seen the posters. And at this time though, he had switched to blonde women so he was hanging out with blonde women which is very interesting i know again a weird switch in mo so police officers get to the armstrong hotel they ask the clerk if they know who this man is and they show him the picture of joseph medley and the clerk immediately was like yep that's the guy who registered here he's a guest of our hotel the clerk let them know that the man was not in the hotel at that point he was on a date with a woman and so they decided that they were just going to like stake out the hotel and, and wait for him. Don't um, wait too long. Yeah, I know. They posted up in neighboring rooms in the lobby to try and catch him. And around 1 a.m. he arrived back in the hotel and he had this very attractive blonde woman on his arm. So the police officers surrounded the man and apparently he just like quickly surrendered. He was just like, Wah. Well, yeah, because he's a fucking wuss. Yeah. Like he, right. He just yeah. like, was, like no fight at all. Just like, Wah. So the woman with him said that she had met him in the hotel bar recently. He claimed he was a horse dealer. He took her out several times. He was a big spender. He was very flashy with like his guns and and his money. and Which were all stolen. Right, exactly. Yeah. And she was affiliated with a fur shop. So she worked at this fur shop and he was trying to get her to help him sell off some of the furs he had. Because remember, like, the most recent So woman, Blanche had a fur coat, and then Nancy had, like, yeah, a, she has a silver meat, like, right. whatever. And so yeah. he was trying to get, like, her to sell these fur coats off, and he had removed their tags, and they apparently, like, that was a big no-no. And she's like, I can't do that. Like, I can't just take anything. So on March 18th, 1945, he was arrested, and he admitted that he had posed as Larry Fisher, but he denied killing anyone. He's like, I didn't kill Nancy. I didn't have anything to do with the stolen items from her. And like, no. No, that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. 
He said he took her out to breakfast, Nancy out to breakfast, and left her at her front door. And he refused to answer any questions about Laura Fisher or Blanche Zimmerman. Oh, he didn't have let's, anything let's to say. Not go there. I don't. I yeah, don't want to talk. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so a couple months later, he was on trial for murder in Washington D.C. just for Nancy, similar to how they would do. To, they they tried him for Nancy in Washington D.C. They were probably at some point thinking they would go back to Chicago or, or you know New Orleans to to do have yeah, the other stand trial for the other two murders. But mm-hmm. if he got death for this one, then I was then not so pointless. Yeah. So he went on trial for the murder of Nancy only in Washington, D.C., May 28th. It started. He didn't take the witness stand. He didn't denied murdering her or the others. And the defense was, you know, because Nancy had scratch marks on her, it must have been a woman who killed him. What? <laughs> right? Must have been a woman who killed her? Because because she had scratch marks. So it must have been a woman with long nails. Right. Because only women scratch. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that men don't grow nails. Yeah. No. <laughs> There's have a you reason seen- they call it a cat fight. Like, <laughs> girls, like, have you seen a man's hands? No nails. No nails. <laughs> Absolutely not. Just nubs. Yeah. <laughs> and if they, just and they wrinkly nubs. Just wrinkly nubs. Exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, oh. Like, oh. looking at that. Thinking oh, about that. I can't no do nails. nails. I can't do nails. <laughs> that being said, though, his gun Ooh. was proven to be the murder weapon through ballistics. So the right. gun that he was flashing around, yeah. they used ballistics mm-hmm. to, to determine that that was the murder weapon. So I'm on June 7th, 1945, he was found guilty of murder and he was sentenced to die in the electric chair. Good. So through appeals, Medley had been saved from the electric chair for some time. And on April 3rd, 1946, so, you know, roughly 11 months after he was convicted, Medley and a fellow prisoner escaped prison. Again? Again. Again. Oh. Yes. No. They were playing cards with some guards. And cards with some guards. Cards cards with guards. Cards with guards night. (laughs) And one of the guards... Was like kept saying like he didn't feel great, and so they're like, you know, why don't you go take a lie down? Yeah, why don't you go lie down? We Maybe got this. It's the benzos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the guard's like, thanks, guys. Yeah, I think I will. I'm feeling pretty tired. Oh my god. So he goes and, and takes a little nap, and the remaining guard was known to be like a snoozer, and so they just waited for him to fall asleep, and then they tied him up and and like gagged him, and then went to the sleeping Jeez. guard, tied him up and gagged him, and just fled and just just escaped. It's too easy. They, they don't make prisons like they used to. Right. <laughs> That's so Medley was thankfully located uh in a drainage ditch, not from far from a where drainage a ditch. drainage ditch, not what? far from where they escaped because he had fallen and hurt himself. So he was like he was injured. And he <laughs> so he's like, I'm gonna just lay down in the ditch. Just lie down. And be like, we found her in the bottom. I mean, like that's the perfect the perfect opportunity to get away. And he (laughs) fell down and hurt him. Ow! My ankle. That is karma. The guy who he left with, the guy who he escaped with, was caught after six days. Or sorry, after eight days. So both of them were ultimately captured. And he was executed on December 20th, 1946. So, but the interesting thing, and I I talked about this a little bit because of those multiple escapes, they did like an in-depth analysis and like investigation into these prisons and like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah, They found like, they were just chaos. The warden was immediately fired. Like the, the prisons were... Prisoners were allowed to like be do drugs and drink and were like allowed out. Uh, but yeah, I would way. I would say that they would need to do an in depth investigation. Yeah. So of... like, yeah, that warden got fired. They they had to change a bunch of things. It was. But yeah, after one crazy man escapes not once but twice and then manages to kill a bunch of people while he's escaped. In terms of escalation, so like he passed bad checks. He was you know involved in some fraud. Then he was 
involved in sort of a violent robbery, but then he was in prison for 10 years when he was like, and he Something was a model happened in prison. I know because like he was a quote unquote model prisoner so much so that they just like let him out. Yeah. For 10 years. It was 10 criminals years. manipulate the system. Right. And if they figure out that if yeah. they're, uh, they, if they behave a certain way, they get certain benefits. And when they get those certain benefits, they can take advantage of that at some point. So that is Joseph Dunbar medley, the killing wow. of three redheads. I liked how I forgot to mention this. And after Nancy was discovered in Washington, DC, the, the inspector, and after they had kind of tied the three <laughs> together, <laughs> uh, the inspector commented three dead redheads we better get this bird before he adds a fourth to the list i always love that that was a quote from one of the newspaper articles i read <laughs> oh we better God. get this bird before he adds a fourth to the list <laughs> i just love that save the redheads yeah save save the, the, the gingers <laughs> uh, wow so yeah, there we go i don't know what state we're gonna add that one to if it's gonna be you know louisiana multi-state i know it's louisiana we can't where'd they catch it again What's they caught him in DC, which we could we could put it up. I, I thought I they know. I thought they caught him in St. Louis. Oh, they did catch mm-hmm. him in St. Louis, but his last one was in DC, and that's where he was ultimately tried. We could do that. Yeah, we could do. DC. Oh, is this your murder map? Yep, this is the murder map. Hey, look at that janky oh, thing. Okay. It's Wait. beautiful. I like it. I <laughs> thank like you. It. I like it a lot. Thank you. <laughs> now we got a third party perspective. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, Danielle. Thanks for being a guest. Yeah. For rough beer for scary stories. I cannot wait. And to... getting me scary. Stories. I know. I, I can't wait. This. Tonight you got to read one of those. Oh, so I'm you read bed, And you got to let us know what you think. Yes. Well, I will call one. her in the middle of the night. Well, no, you I'm having nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> <And> Silence. <laughs> me, just whisper in the phone. Danielle, there's a man in the corner. <laughs> yeah. like, well, thank you guys for listening. Please tell all of your friends. Rate, subscribe. Go to Menards. Go, yeah, make sure yeah. to go to Menards. Eat that lots of matzah. Do it for us. You know, do it, yeah. do it for us. If yeah. anything, get this root beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get the Sprecher root beer. Just Sprecher don't get the Puma Cola. Super good. It's award winning, you guys. Mm-hmm. It's an old school brewery. Please shoot us an email at the premeditated podcast at gmail.com. Did like we get us, any emails? No emails. Oh, wait, wait. No, we did. We got an email from my uncle. Oh, I love your uncle. I know. He always emails us and I love it. Thanks, Uncle Chris. You're the best. Make sure to like us and follow us on Instagram at premeditated podcast because Kate posts some hilarious shit and you don't want to miss that. And as always, tell your folks we says hi. Boo, <laughs> 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 <laughs>